You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Welcome back, and welcome to all of our new listeners. Dr. G and I are so excited at how many of you are tuning in. We are also really excited to say that we were featured in the New York Times Sunday paper as a podcast to listen to for all things allergy and immunology. So thank you, New York Times, for making us the top allergy podcast. Today, we're diving into venom allergies with our guest, Dr. Farah Khan. She's a board-certified allergist immunologist specializing in pediatrics. We're talking about which flying insects we should be concerned about when it comes to anaphylaxis and which flying insects you don't need to be stressing about as much. We also cover testing for venom allergies, why this is challenging, and what you should do or what you can do if you are indeed allergic to venom. There is no better time than now to drop this episode as the weather starts to warm and we begin to adventure outdoors. I hope this episode will make you feel a little less afraid next time a bee is swarming around your picnic. Now let's see what we mean when we say venom allergy. Are you thinking snakes? Well, you shouldn't. You should be thinking yellow jackets. Venom is a new subject for us. Normally we talk about environment or we talk about pets or we talk about food when we talk about allergies, but we're talking about venom. And I'm curious, Dr. Khan, why is venom interesting to you? Hi, Courtney. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So venom allergy from flying insects and fire ants is particularly interesting to me as an allergist because we see it so frequently in the office. People will get, you know, stung by a bee and then on their hand and their hand will swell up. And then there's this misconception that you'll need to go on allergy shots for life. So I'm glad that we're talking about this and hopefully dispelling some of the misconceptions. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to hear more about this because I've been stung by many different flying creatures in my lifetime and I never felt like I had to go to an allergist's office, so I'm excited to see why people think they need to go right to the allergist when they get stung. Before we really dive into it, I would love to know, because when I hear venom, I think of snakes and I think of scorpions, but you said flying insects and you said fire ants. Can you just dispel why we wouldn't also be talking about like snake venom, for instance? Yeah, so the venom from snake bites is very different, and the therapy that we offer for those poisonous bites is also very different. So in the emergency room, typically when you present after a snake bite, they use something called antivenom, and it's an antibody that neutralizes the venom. There's no traditional venom immunotherapy for snake bites to desensitize your immune system the way that we think about traditional allergy shots. So we're sticking with bugs, essentially. When I think about venom, or venom from bugs, and I think about its portrayal in pop culture, two things come to mind. The first one is the famous scene from My Girl, where he gets stung by a beehive, and that basically taught me to stop throwing rocks at beehives as a child. And the second one is a recent episode from the show Bridgerton, where the father dies within, I would say, two minutes or less of a bee sting. I'm interested in two things. I'm interested in what are the different bugs that we're talking about specifically? 
and whether they all have different potencies of venom. So if one bug, I'm now just making this up and you can clarify, but like if a bumblebee is something that you could potentially have anaphylactic reaction to and a mosquito, you couldn't, or if you could even have a mosquito bite that would send you into anaphylaxis. Can you clarify that for me a little bit so we understand which bugs are scarier than others? Great references. I think they're probably a little dramatized just for delivery purposes, but that's what stays with people, right? The flying insects that we worry about that people can have full-blown anaphylaxis to are honeybees, bumblebees, wasps, hornets, yellow jackets, and then fire ants. I have not heard of or seen any reported cases of anaphylaxis from mosquito bites. Pyle, have you? No, I actually looked this up a little while ago. It's very, very, very rare that anyone would have a reaction like anaphylaxis to mosquitoes. So I know a lot of people are worried about that one, but we don't have any evidence to show that people are truly anaphylactic to mosquito bites. That's really good to know. And I think we might get into this soon or a little bit later, but I know that like mosquito bites can look a little bit different on other people. So for me, a mosquito bite is kind of small, but for my grandma, it's like huge. So I would love to know why that would be. Maybe we should just jump into it. Like what does an allergic reaction look like when you get stung by an insect? Mosquito bites, they're probably the most annoying because they can cause all of this local histamine release at the site of the bite and you can get really, really itchy and it's super annoying. But again, like Pyle had said, no reported cases of anaphylaxis that we are aware of. Your risk is incredibly low to none. However, with the more traditional flying insects that we're talking about, like the bees and the yellow jackets and hornets, typically with a severe allergic reaction, you're going to have these mast cells at play, and we'll talk about them a little bit later as well, but they release these chemicals and histamine is one of the main ones that can then go on to give you itching, hives that look like welts, lip or tongue swelling. You can have trouble breathing or coughing. You can even have some GI involvement with immediate nausea and vomiting. And these symptoms usually occur pretty quickly, like within a half an hour or so of being stung, sometimes faster. It's not typically days and weeks later. That's not how we think about anaphylaxis or allergic reactions with these insects. Yeah. And I think one thing that's really important to clarify here is that there's local reactions and then there's systemic reactions. And with mosquitoes, again, mosquito bites, we see mostly local reactions. And even with venom stinging insects, like the honeybees, bumblebees, wasps, hornets, yellow jackets, and fire ants, those insects can also give us just local reactions and don't always lead to systemic reactions. And that's really what we're talking about today is what is that difference and when do we actually have to worry about your risk actually progressing on to an anaphylactic reaction that requires further treatment, evaluation, and fear. <laughs> can we talk about then what a local reaction really looks like? And then we can go into when that is that local reaction turn into an anaphylactic reaction? So what does the progress look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes it just depends on where you are stung and how dramatic the resulting redness and swelling and sometimes pain can be. If you're stung on a smaller body part like your ear or your nose or in your mouth or lip because you picked up a soda can that had a yellow jacket in it, right? They're sort of infamous for being around open food and, and uh 
drinks or your toe or finger or, some, or somewhere small, if you get stung, the venom that's released causes your immune system to produce a response where all of various white blood cells will come into the area. And as they're infiltrating the smaller area that has a lot of blood vessels and vasculature, the swelling and redness that results can look pretty impressive. So if you got stung on your finger, it might be that your whole hand really swells up and gets red and itchy rather than if you're stung on the back of your shoulder or something like that, where maybe the symptoms are a little less noticeable, I guess. So I think that sometimes with these local reactions in small body parts, they can look really bad. <laughs> but usually if they're not progressing to systemic symptoms, so if your local reaction just stays local and is in a, a nuisance and annoyance for a few days, then generally we would say it was a large local reaction. There's no indication for getting skin tested to venom and going on allergy shot. The story changes when that local reaction does proceed to a systemic reaction. Those symptoms that I mentioned earlier with full-blown itching and hives and your lips and tongue swelling and that kind of thing, then you're definitely a candidate to get tested further. You mentioned a couple of days. How long does inflammation from a sting stay around? Like at what point would I go, this is normal, I'm fine, to this is not feeling normal. I should go see someone about this. So you should definitely seek medical care if there is any concern at all. Even if there is just a local reaction, there's no reason for you to try to figure it out at home by yourself. You should either go to the urgent care or see your primary care doctor, or if you're already plugged into an allergist, come and see us. Yeah. And I think there is a potential where a local reaction could become infected. If you're itching it too much and cause an opening in the area, then that opening can get infected and that can lead to worrisome symptoms. So yes, at any time, like Farah said, if you have symptoms that you're worried about, you should always just check in with a provider and make sure that everything's okay. Now, I'm curious about these venom stings. Can someone go and get tested for them before they go out into the forest? So say maybe your dad has an allergy to bee stings and you think, I don't know if I want to send my kid to summer camp because they might come in contact with wasps. Can I get them tested so that we know whether my child needs to carry an EpiPen with them or not when they're at summer camp? Is that something that people should consider? No. <laughs> That's the short answer. And that's because the skin testing is only as good as the clinical history. So it doesn't like you could get false positives, you could get false negatives, and then you're just left with blurry data points and you don't know how to interpret them. So we just tell patients to be smart. Like if you're going to be out, wear, you know, protective clothing and use mosquito spray or DEET spray or, or what have you, and just be mindful of keeping open food and drinks out, but don't get tested first, that's not going to provide any reassurance. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And just want to let people know that the risk of you actually having an allergy to an insect is very rare. It's you know, estimated that maybe 5% of people in the US have an insect sting allergy. And so like with anything, we really don't want to overtest because then the results are confusing and we produce anxiety for no reason because you could be stung and actually, in fact, not be truly allergic. And so you don't have to be fearful for the rest of your life that you might go to a picnic and get stung and have a life-threatening moment. So yes, I absolutely agree. And that's really one of the key things that we wanted to talk about today is just that not everyone needs to be tested and definitely you don't need to be prophylactically tested. Like if you haven't had a sting and a reaction in that situation, you would definitely not want to just get tested just to see. 
That's right. And we have, there are about 20% of healthy adults. That's usually the statistic that we use that walk around with positive skin testing to venom or positive blood results, but they're not actually systemically allergic clinically if they get stung. Oh, those are good numbers to ease everyone's nerves. Don't get tested unless you get stung. Is that what I'm hearing? And do you even get tested once you've been stung? What does the testing journey look like if I go into the doctor after a insect sting and it's been an anaphylactic reaction? Right. So if it's been a full-blown severe allergic reaction or an anaphylaxis, we usually have patients wait about four to six weeks because of the theoretical risk of all of your mast cells have been consumed in that anaphylactic reaction and they kind of need to repopulate, <laughs> um, I guess, for, for lack of a better word. And then you would come in and do the skin testing and the blood work. However, if there's ever any question, you can always talk to your local allergist about whether or not you're a good candidate for testing. And the other thing that I would highlight is just because you've had a large local reaction, you are not at a higher risk of having anaphylaxis in the future if you are stung. And I think that's another big misconception out there. If someone comes in after a large local reaction, would you test them or how would that journey look like for them? No, we would not uh, typically test them because the testing really wouldn't add anything to their care. Okay, so you really only test people who have had anaphylactic reactions to bee stings or whatever insect stings. Correct. Yeah, and you know, when we talk about anaphylaxis, it doesn't mean that it has to go directly into you almost died, right? It can be that you have a local reaction plus diffuse hives and some swelling of your lips. So it could be that, you know, the reaction didn't just look like a bump or like a large local swelling, that there was another symptom with it. Then we would be worried that yes, you could be at risk for anaphylaxis in the future, that your reaction could progress. So it's basically that if you have symptoms more than just swelling in the area that you were stung at, that's when we would look further into it and check to see, are you truly allergic or not? I know food allergy testing. Does it look the same as it skin prick and blood testing? Is that what you guys are doing or what are you exactly testing for when it comes to venom? Yeah, it's pretty similar. So you start off with the superficial scratch test. So a lot of people that get tested for seasonal allergies or food allergies, it starts that way. And then for patients that don't have that reaction on that initial evaluation of the uh, superficial scratch test, we do something called intradermal testing. So if you've ever had a TB test or a PPD placed, it's kind of similar to that. It's just underneath the superficial layers of the skin. And sometimes that's a little bit more sensitive and we'll use that to see if you produce a reaction. And then we'll use that in conjunction with blood work to kind of figure out with your clinical history, are you a good candidate for allergy shots? Great. And I know that our conversation before we started recording is we talked quickly about something called systemic mastocytosis and venom allergies. Can you clarify what that is and why we want to talk about that when we talk about venom? Yeah. So systemic mastocytosis is a really rare disorder in the allergy world. And it's basically when you have too many mast cells in your body and they infiltrate certain organs like your GI tract or your bone marrow. And mast cells are a type of white blood cell. They're totally normal part of your immune system. But with this disorder, you basically have too many of them. And when mast cells degranulate or release their contents, things like the histamine, it just produces all of these wild allergic reactions, essentially. So patients that get stung with these 
like a yellow jacket or any of these flying insects that we're talking about, if they have a really severe anaphylactic event, we, we want to screen them for this disorder just to make sure that we're not missing something. And that's usually with some blood work. There is some suggestion that if you have a full-blown anaphylaxis response, but don't have any skin manifestations, so you don't break out in the itching in the hives, or if you have a pretty scary drop in blood pressure that um, you're at a slightly higher risk for having this disorder. So we always just screen because it's fairly non-invasive with a blood test. You mentioned shots. And I've actually met people at my allergist office getting like bee sting shots is what they called it. So I would love to talk about that because I know that's a form of immunotherapy. And then also kind of curious, if someone has systemic mastocytosis, would they also go on um, immunotherapy shots? So can we clarify those two things? For patients that have had systemic allergic reactions, and if they have regular exposure to flying insects because they're a beekeeper or they're avid bikers or hikers or they're outdoors quite a bit, then I think definitely that should be a discussion that you have with your allergist. Usually we tell patients, you know, for three to five years, you need to stay on it to help desensitize your immune system and shift its response. So it's not so aggressive. So you don't have these full-blown allergic reactions. And then patients that have systemic mastocytosis, that rare mast cell disorder, because they have an inherently they have too many mast cells floating around. They're always going to be at a higher risk of having an anaphylactic reaction if they're stung. And then if they do anything outdoors, then it definitely increases the risk. So the current recommendation is that patients that have had systemic allergic reactions, that they stay on their venom allergy shots for the duration of their life. So then what I'm assuming is if you also get like immunotherapy shots for pollen allergy, you can do that at the same time as your venom allergy. Yes, you can. Okay. And how often do they go to the office to get those done? So it's pretty similar to the traditional seasonal allergy, environmental allergy shots that you go on. You have to sort of go through a buildup phase. So you start with really small doses, get your way up to um, maintenance dosing, and then um, it varies. Most of the time, people, once they're on their maintenance dose, will go in once a month. You can go every other month as well. We've covered a lot about what people should be concerned of when they get stung, when should they see a doctor, when should they get treatment. Can we just quickly summarize what has been discussed so far? So here are the quick bullet points. One, a local reaction from any stinging insect or biting insect is very common and should not cause concern, even if almost your entire arm is swollen. Obviously, you should seek medical care and you might need additional therapy, but it's not an indication that you're at higher risk of anaphylaxis. Number two, we don't test everyone. We only test you if you've had any other symptoms that make us worried that you are at risk of anaphylaxis. And what do those symptoms look like? And that's in addition to the local swelling, you also have symptoms like hives, shortness of breath, swelling of your eyes or face, or difficulty breathing, feeling like your throat is getting swollen, feeling lightheaded, feeling like you're going to throw up. Any of those additional symptoms after you've been stung by something would cause a need for further evaluation and testing. And again, those symptoms should occur within 30 minutes to an hour of the sting happening. 
And so those are, I think, the key takeaway points. Getting stung can happen. You just need to know when you need to get evaluated. And we don't test people just to see if you might be allergic because that testing is always difficult to interpret until we have a clinical reaction to kind of pair along with it. So you can get what we call false positives or false negative reactions, which means that the test looks like it's positive, but you're not truly positive, or the test looks like you're negative, but you are in fact positive. So that's why we don't test everyone. Thank you for that summary, Dr. G. I think that's really helpful because there's a lot of information, of course, uh, especially since we all kind of will get a little bump when we get stung, but when will that bump be scary? Because as we talked at the top of the episode, media has made dinging very scary. But actually, if we go back to Bridgerton in another episode, aka, can you tell I'm a Bridgerton fan? Um, <laughs> in another later episode, I'm spoiling it for y'all, but another character gets stung by a bee and she's totally fine. And it's just a little bump. So that also shows that there's the two extremes, right? She gets stung, it's no big deal. The father gets stung and he unfortunately dies. So... What happens if you get stung <laughs> from a small sting to a systemic reaction? What would someone do? Right. So don't panic and don't swat at any of these flying insects. Just step away from the area calmly. And then once you're able to identify where the sting has been, you can remove the stinger if, if there's one that's been left. Don't You don't need to grab tweezers or anything. You can just use your nail to sort of scratch along the surface of your skin, remove the stinger, and then get some cool compresses. You can use a little Tylenol um, later in the day if you start to have some pain to go along with that redness and swelling. But generally, things get better over the course of, of, of a few days. On the flip side, if you're having a systemic allergic reaction, then we kind of say the same thing. Don't swat at anything. Lay down, get your feet above the level of your heart, bring all that blood back up to your heart so it's not pulling into your feet, and then use your emergency epinephrine injection if you carry one. And if you don't, call EMS. And then the other thing, if you're having some itching and redness is you can try a little bit of Zyrtec or Claritin. Usually we tell patients not to use Benadryl because it's not that great. It's the antihistamine effect doesn't last that long. So if you wanted to take a tablet of Zyrtec or Allegra, that would be reasonable too. What about putting any ointments? Like, you said Benadryl and I think I have Benadryl cream for insect bites for like mosquito bites would that be something that you could put on your wasp sting there aren't any large studies on the use of topical antihistamines although they're available and widely used I always tell my patients that the potential negative downside is that you could have a reaction to the topical agent and other chemicals that are contained within that medication. So you could have a reaction to the actual topical antihistamine. And so that's a downside. But if you want to try it and you feel like you would rather try that as opposed to a topical steroid, which we think would be more effective just because you don't like using steroids, especially for ch small children, a lot of parents will be very nervous about using any steroid, even if it's a topical. So, you know, in those cases, I say you can try it, but the evidence isn't as strong for the actual benefit as it is for something like a topical steroid. Yeah, I agree. So now that we know what a venom sting looks like, how to treat it, what can we do to avoid it? Is there anything that you can, like any tips you can give us about how to like go outside and not be freaked out by bees? 
Yeah, of course. So a couple of practical things that we can do is just avoid loose fitting clothing because you don't want anything climbing into your clothes and then setting up um, and getting uh, easier access to you to get stung and then avoid bright clothing, wear closed toe shoes if you're outside just in case you step on a wasp or something like that and then cover all of your food and drink when you are outside. Um, and if you do get stung, just remain calm. Don't s start swatting, swatting away and panicking. Sometimes that angers the insects more and step away from the area. Yeah, those are really important recommendations for everyone because getting stung by a stinging insect is not fun for anyone. So those are all really important measures for everyone. And then, of course, if you are allergic to a stinging insect and you have an epinephrine device, you are not protected unless you carry that epinephrine device. So it's similar to a food allergic patient where you need to have your epinephrine device with you every day at all times. And to finally wrap this up, I have a nephew who refuses to go on summer hikes with us because he's like totally afraid of wasps. He's never been stung in his life by a wasp, but he will literally get up and sprint 100 meters away if he sees one. And I just tell him that he's being completely irrational. But I think that maybe you can help me make the case that he can come on a hike with us in the summer because it's not that bad. So, Dr. Khan, what would you say to my nephew who's got this crazy fear of wasps, even though he's never been stung or knows no one who's ever been stung by a wasp besides me? Yeah. How old is your nephew? My nephew is 14. Okay. Okay. So teenager. So we have we have some parameters here. So I think the biggest thing is just helping him understand, especially if he's 14, right? He has a little bit of a grasp of like risk benefit and the benefit of like spending time with family, being outdoors and not letting this fear drive his ability to do things like spend time outdoors and in nature with family. If he was younger, I would just take him out with me, hold my hand. For a teenager, I would say, let's just go on like a quick walk, right? Let's go to a local park or something like that, rather than like a full-blown, you know, hike that we're going to be out all day and that kind of thing to help to start desensitize him a little bit. And then if there is a wasp around, knowing that you could walk by it and be totally fine and not immediately get stung and immediately have, you know, bridge style anaphylactic events. And I think sometimes it just comes with exposure. And then knowing that you're also taking safety precautions, like wearing closed toe shoes and fitted clothing and, and nothing too bright and, and keeping your food and drinks away. So just small baby steps is probably where I would start. Super. Thank you. I'm going to force him to listen to this episode. <laughs> you can take the advice and, and doctors. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Farah. That was so fun to do this episode. I am excited to hopefully do other episodes with you. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, I had so much fun. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.